Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to episode 143 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which is a very special show. On episode 143, Tech Sideline founder and general manager Will Stewart sat down and interviewed Virginia Tech's director of athletics, Whit Babcock. They discussed facilities, impact of COVID-19 on the athletic department financially, and how Hokies can help out with that, plus the future of Virginia Tech football and more. It's all coming up on episode 143 of the Tech Sideline podcast that gets started right now. With that, we welcome in Whit Babcock. Whit, thanks for taking the time to speak with us and uh, let us let Hokie fans know what's going on. My pleasure. Um, it's an honor to be on. Y'all have a great and passionate audience, and it's a good chance to connect. So I'm honored to be here. Thank you. And a very large audience too. Anyway, thank that's you. right. Very <laughs> thank large. You for the compliments. <laughs> so, so listen, we know you're a busy man who's uh, putting out a lot of fires in the face of a lot of unknowns. We got you for about half an hour, so we're going to dive right in here in a moment. But first. Let me ask how you're doing because I run a business that is, let's just say it's under a million dollars a year in revenue and it's got four employees and I can't imagine what it's like to be you running an operation the size of the Virginia Tech Athletics Department and to be facing a huge revenue shortfall like this and having to make decisions that affect the lives of hundreds of people. So let me ask you, how are you holding up personally? Uh, thank you. I appreciate you asking. Um, and yeah, I, I'm no different than our employees and probably you and people listening as well. You know, you try to put one foot ahead of the other. Some days are better than others. You know, it's been a strain uh, mental health wise. You know, you got to try to stay sharp there. Um, physical exercise helps, but uh, it has certainly been a challenge. And then watching other people have to go through it and um, uh, it's, it's been very challenging, but many blessings in there as well. And um, so you're kind to say that, but I don't know if my pressures are any different than anyone else. A um, lot more mental stress, a little bit more free time in the evenings, uh, <laughs> but just more time to think about things, I guess. That can be good and bad. So I've gained 10 pounds. What about you? <laughs> I kind of fluctuate up five or 10, up and down, and I'm hanging in there so far so good. All right. So let's, uh, let's start with something fun that, uh, that, that I think really hasn't been communicated enough. Let's start with a facilities update. So I know you got a lot going on. Tell us about the major projects, which are the Student Athlete Performance Center, Merriman Center, uh, work that you did to Castle recently. And we can also talk about the new dorm. So kind of bring us up to speed on where all those projects are, because I know a lot of them are slated to be completed this fall, aren't they? Yes, and, and thank you for asking about it. It is nice to see um, some of the seeds planted and vision planted a few years ago come to fruition. And the Student Athlete Performance Center, or what used to be called 
the Bowman room uh, should be fully finished within a month. Uh, was a little delayed by a couple months, uh, but nothing significant work went on unimpeded. Really thrilled with that. It'll benefit all of our sports. People will see it on basketball game days and it tripled the space, made it a signature uh, piece. And we're really proud of that. And then in the Merriman Center, as you've seen uh, with the expansion and addition of some team meeting rooms, uh, expansion and renovation of the weight room, uh, strength and conditioning center, all of that. What that will have done, we're really proud of this. As you know, we don't have one standalone football facility. It kind of drifts between all of Merriman, most of Jamerson, and a little bit of Castle. And now within the past five years, we will have renovated every square foot of it or, or uh, expanded it. So we take a lot of pride in that one being finished. That will also be completed within the next month. Um, the new residence hall is a year away, so that'll be class of 2021. We feel like that's a game changer uh, for us as well on the recruiting front and how we take care of our, our young people. So that's coming along. Um, uh, Castle Coliseum will probably be the next big, big project that we do. Uh, we do have a comprehensive capital campaign we were going to announce in April in conjunction with the spring game, but obviously that, that got pushed back. But we always want to be um, accomplishing things and then looking to the future. And, and when I first got here, it, it seemed that a little finishing touch to the facility push was, was where we needed to go. And then now I think in football specifically, we'll move towards infrastructure and recruiting, but that should give you a broad based uh, idea of it. And we're not going to have gold plated locker rooms and things such as that, but we're going to have stuff that makes everybody uh, proud and competes with anybody in the country. So real quick, let's answer some questions about financing of everything. The uh, student athlete performance center is fully paid for from a single, mostly a single donation, correct? Correct. Actually, it, it was a, like most things. It was a little over cost, but yes, we did have one gift uh, for around 16 and a half million. And then we had another seven figure gift and the final price was just over 20 million. So we have a little bit to take care of, but again, pretty, pretty minimal compared to the facility we have and that we could pay cash for it essentially. Good. Um, so, and how about the Merriman Center renovations? Yeah, same as that. This last round, I believe, was $6 million. Um, all of that has been raised. We have a million to go on the new, to actually pay for the new weights. We can still use our other ones. They weigh the same. But when you deck it out and do it nice, you want to go all out. So we feel like we've got a way to cover that last piece um, here by the end of the year. And that should complete that in a total of uh, fundraising as well. So we may have to, we, we tend to take some short-term internal loans when some of the pledges are paid, paid off. But in these cases, the Student Athlete Performance Center in Merriman, most of the cash, if not all of it's in hand. So that's a great way to do it when we can. All right, and let's clear something up about the dorm because I've heard people refer to this dorm as an athletic dorm and it is not an athletic dorm. Um, if I remember correctly, it's something like 550 total beds and something like 175 of them will be in, inhabited by athletes. Is that close to the being correct? Yes, it will be, you're right. It, uh, student athletes will, will take up about one third of the residence hall. It will be all of our freshmen student athletes. I guess it could be transfers if, if they're on campus, but all of our freshmen, all of our sports, um, the other students that will be in there were also highly recruited. It's a group called Innovate and Studio 72 and it's entrepreneurship and creative and it ought to be a heck of a melting pot of a lot of really talented young people. Our, um, where those groups of um, students for lack of a better term spent 
good money on the rooms and very good money on uh, studio space. We focused ours more on the rooms and um, individual small bedrooms for each uh, student athlete, again, every sport. And we patterned them off of uh, Auburn and Alabama football and feel like they're better than those. So not that it's an arms race in that way, but if we're going to house them and have them a quarter mile from our facility, this is something we thought could be a differentiator for us. I appreciate that update, and I'll try to get by and take some pictures of things at least as much as I can and, and put them out for people to see. So uh, up next, I've got a series of questions about the finances of the athletic department because I think it's important to let Virginia Tech fans know exactly what's going on, what the specifics are, and most importantly, how they can help. So the first question is, do you have a better idea at this point, now that you're into the academic year a little bit, of the financial impact of COVID? Um, you got an athletic department that brings in about 90 or 95 million a year, you know, in a normal year. And we've heard numbers thrown around like a 40 to $50 million shortfall for this year. Um, do you know now that you're partially into the year, do you have a better estimate of how much of a hit you're going to take this year? We do. Uh, the fiscal year ends June 30th. So it will, our focus will become more sharp or clear, but essentially we will be down, um, between 45 and 50 million dollars in revenue um, we have made cuts savings other things to whittle that down to 30 million and hopefully we can keep going and get it closer to 20 which is still a a huge huge number but all things considered i'm really proud of our group and how we've rallied around that ha have been able to generate some revenue to offset it uh, but yes, it will be a challenge for us and every athletic department in the country. And really, I, I think that's the new, um, oh, for lack of a better term, co competition ground on um, how each campus will, will deal with the deficits, right? Do you yeah. get some campus help? Do you finance it? Do you fundraise it? And it's kind of like we're all in the pit stop. Everybody's cars all beat to heck and, and who can get it put back together and out of the pits and we plan on that being a, a spot for us to gain some ground, hopefully, and do that. So that, that kind of segues into a question I was going to ask a little later, but let's ask it now. I, I, don't, I don't know that your average fan understands how much state law affects your, your ability to be nimble in situations like this. So my question for you is, are there any options for the athletic department to borrow funds, perhaps from, univers from the university to help, to help compensate for this loss of revenue? I mean, what avenues do you have other than just somehow magically trying to make more money? Sure, and, and what you covered is, is accurate. And we will be um, meeting with the president on campus and some other folks later this fall um, ha have an answer to that, a, a plan for all of that. But yes, hopefully uh, there's some ways the university can assist. And then hopefully there's some low interest um, loans, other things to do it, maybe some refinancing of other uh, projects. We, we do have a reserve, most of that by state law is locked up, so to speak, uh, to be a backstop for our bond payments on the stadium. But I believe the west side of the stadium rolls off our debt service in 2028. So that'll be nice when all that's free and clear. But all that ties together and is an ongoing conversation. And uh, the university's great. Um, if they don't do anything, they already have. Um, I'm really grateful for their support. But we'll find a good middle ground and, and something that's um, justifiable and uh, could certainly be sunshineable and uh, public. All right, so, um, you know, looking at the finances, football ticket sales bringing about 17 million a year, 
and men's basketball ticket sales bring in about another three million a year, you know, in, in a typical year. How much of that have you been able to replace with the, the, the various things you've been doing? You've got the Keep Jumping campaign, you've got the cardboard cutouts, you have the virtual sellout campaign, and I think the latest is the Pledge Per Touchdown campaign. So um, how, how much have all these different programs been able to uh, generate to try to replace what looks like it's going to be about $20 million in lost revenue? Yeah, your, your numbers are accurate. That's about what we do in, in tickets. Um, I really commend our external team, our marketing and Hokie Club and all of the ways they've adjusted the sales to keep people involved. Um, our donor numbers will be going up. We expect to cross 20,000 members in the drive for 25 this, this March. They've been doing outstanding. But um, every dollar they raise is one less we have to figure out. But it, it hasn't been a tremendous um, – well, actually, let me say this. It's probably in the neighborhood of a, of a million dollars um, that they've creatively generated. And then we've had some ticket holders and donors, donors enable us to um, retain their money as a gift or roll it forward. Um, and when all that shakes out, hopefully we'll be in the uh, higher seven figures there and, and try to offset it. But no, when you can't have fans in the stadium, you can't have suites, you can't have parking, um, that really... Um, uh, takes a toll on your revenue and we are around 90% self-sufficient campus helps us to the tune uh, of around $10 million a year through fees and, and other things. So mm -hmm. the part we generate is, is really taking a hit this year and we expect it to be better. We'll operate leaner, but this may be a two, three, four year cycle before uh, everything comes back. So it ought to be a challenge, but an opportunity too. Yeah, and, and to clarify things for the fans, uh, the $10 million that you refer to as student activity, student athletic fees, and, and there, is no, uh, there is no ability there to increase that in any, any market amount. I mean, that, that stuff is governed by state law. It's not like you can uh, suddenly raise the fees next year and, and draw up another $5 million. Correct. It's, it's my understanding that they can't go up more than 3% in total. And certainly the university has a lot of mouths to feed on the fee structure and um, really grateful for what we have. But uh, that, you know, you want to look at every opportunity, just ideally you don't want to put too much on the back of your students. But uh, yeah, we will look and already have under every rock. And um, again, it's taught us how to be pretty creative and reach our audience from virtual 5Ks to selling virtual tickets to a virtual game and a virtual stadium. I never thought I'd see that. Um, but yeah, if we can, we can get through it, which we're planning on it, uh, it should make us better and more well-rounded um, when we come out the backside of it. So have you made any special private appeals to your biggest donors to, to help the athletic department get through this year? That's stuff that, you know, we've seen the public stuff. Uh, what can you tell us about what you've been doing privately? Yeah, we have raised uh, uh, some good money. Very, very impressed with this. Um, just to talk in, in generalities, around uh, 15 to 20 donors um, have committed a total of $12 million over the next five years to help us support football infrastructure um, and on down the line, that's for football. That is not to offset the operating costs, right? Sometimes when you can raise money for one-time expenses, um, that's nice. It's, it's hard to raise money just to turn the lights on have the operating budget, et cetera, and then is it year after year after year. So yes, we have called on some of our best and most loyal and, and really tried to undergird football. We're, we're gonna 
protect all of our sports, but if nothing else, it's, it's certainly shown the public, the um, fan importance and the financial importance of football, how it provides student athlete opportunities for all 22 sports. So very pleased with the fundraising. It's been private and quiet, but we've had a lot of people uh, really step up and really grateful for, for what the future holds there. So I, you know, reading the tea leaves and watching the, the way the wind's blowing and all that, I, I don't have high hopes that, uh, that there's going to be anyone allowed in Lane Stadium this year. Um, and I also don't think many fans are going to be allowed in Castle, if any at all. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Uh, um, what's, what's the hope that there would be more than a thousand people allowed in Lane and, and anybody allowed in Castle? Yeah, I, I don't know is the answer, but uh, as of now, we could have 1,000, it's, it's kind of interesting and, and odd both. Um, we could have 1,000 fans in Lane Stadium. We could have 1,000 fans in Castle Coliseum. We could have 1,000 fans at English Field at Atlantic Union Bank Park. So um, that one's above my administrative grade. I know the president and other people, uh, government relations are working on that, but certainly uh, the governor calls those shots and is doing what he thinks best in the public health. Hopefully, um, with a couple weeks off and, and November games coming up, hopefully there's some wiggle room there. But I, I, I don't know. There's no deadline. Um, I'm hopeful, but it's, it's uh, not something I have my hopes up too high about. So right now, uh, we could have a 1,000 in Castle, and we're working on that, uh, how to do that safely. And then really with our winter sports, uh, men's basketball and wrestling, women's basketball are the three most uh, high contact from a um, potential for spreading the virus. So you're, you're testing and, and how you handle all that, especially with wrestling. But those two basketballs will be another challenge and struggle. But we're planning to play and, and lace them up and, and go do it with however many fans we can. So you said the words basketball and wrestling, and this is a question I was going to ask much later, but I'll, I'll ask it now. How close are we to having schedules for uh, basketball and wrestling? Yeah, I believe basketball, uh, last I heard in all these meetings, I believe it will be in the next uh, 10 days or so. And then wrestling, I admittedly don't know. I just know the season cannot begin until after January 1st. So I'll have uh, to okay. get, get caught up on that one. So um, I, I don't know the drop dead date on that schedule. Um, I may have missed some news releases. Can you can you tell us what the scheduling will look like in basketball? Is it going to be conference only, or, or how many out of conference games do you think they'll play, if any? Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure all that is is public yet, but I would just put it in the high 20s, uh, mid 20s on number of games, with most of those being ACC competition, but yet with some non-conference. And we've had to go back and adjust some of our contracts and game guarantees and. Uh, tried to ask a lot of people to work for us. So it won't quite be the quantity of games, maybe a 10%, 15% drop, and most of them will be ACC. Probably look a lot like football, but with some non-conference in there as well. Right. Okay. Um, so one of the things that, that we heard uh, in the lead, in the run-up to the football season is that Virginia Tech and UVA were petitioning the, the governor for more fans in the stands beyond the 1,000. Is that something that did occur? And, and what can you share with us about that? Yeah, I, I don't believe that's accurate. You know, at least the word petitioning um, right. through, the, through the right channels. And then there's also a committee of all outdoor venues in, in Virginia that works with the governor. I believe there's 187 different venues from Bush Gardens to Lane Stadium, et cetera. And all of them are under the same um, 
mandate, so to speak. So that, that one will be worked out at, at some higher levels than I can certainly control. But the president's been great. Everybody wants to do what we can responsibly, ideally let some students in there. You know, the revenue is so far gone. It's not a revenue play. Um, just a chance to get some people back and take three or four hours off from real life a little bit. Well, that was very diplomatic, but you know, it's, it's painful to watch uh, football <laughs> games around the country and, and, and see fans in the stands and see the chair backs set up. And, yes. you know, I, I know it's complicated. We won't get into that. So let's get into some, um, some staffing discussions. So um, I would imagine with that kind of loss in revenue that, it basically a, a formal or informal hiring freeze would be in place yet during this uh three new hires that i can think of have been announced it's uh jaron Gouveia winslow uh corey fuller and and alex white um so I'm, I'm not even really sure what i'm looking to ask here other than sure how do you pull off hiring new people that that are definitely needed don't get me wrong at a time like this when there's such a budget crunch Yes, and, and um, yes, that is a good question. Uh, really, it's being funded uh, through that $12 million uh, over five years that I referenced earlier. What we're doing to be responsible is to um, save or sock away either two or three years of a position, salary, benefits, everything, have that in hand before we create a position and we were a little light on the recruiting staff. Again, when Coach Fuente first got here and, and, and um, we addressed what the needs were then in the last year or two, I believe it's been a realization more of the digital age of recruiting. Not that we didn't know that, but it's on steroids now and, and that we needed to do that. So it's just a way to, to try to undergird football. It's not exuberant spending. Most of those jobs are pretty um, entry to mid-level, but uh, we need some boots boots on the ground. We will have another hire in that infrastructure area coming out um, announced in early early November a, a young lady uh, for our student athlete development and football recruiting on campus visits things such as that so um, we we do realize the sensitivity to it we will also be undergoing some um, pay cuts other other things that will become more public as we turn towards January but we we know if we're going to ask donors to give and other things, we need skin in the game. And a lot of that's been private and giving, and um, it'll be a more structured and more public and more formal as we, we turn the year there. So it's a lot of heavy decisions, but we feel like investing in football responsibly with money in hand is, is, is justifiable. Uh, so that segues into a question I had for you. I, I, was, I was struck by a letter that uh, East Carolina's athletic director wrote to their community where he was very specific about salary cuts and furloughs, you know, it, to, listing all the various salary levels and what percentage cut they were going to take. Um, so it sounds like, you know, I, I guess there's a two-pronged question. Um, uh, do, do you have that sort of thing at Virginia Tech? It sounds like it's been private so far if it's been occurring. And will that information eventually be made public? I, I, I believe it will. Um, our staff, we, we've talked about this coming. Obviously, I'd rather give them the details before I give Tech Sideline all the details. <laughs> uh, but we will, um, uh, yes, be, be public with that. And then when you see pay cuts and furloughs and things. Some people do them for six months. Some people do them for eight months. 
Uh, I would anticipate ours being longer than that. Um, some people do it off of base pay. There's a lot of ways to do it. I don't believe there's anybody in the country that can cut their way from a payroll standpoint to really make up. In other words, if we just paid everybody we had on staff and paid the scholarship bill, that would be approximately $51 million a year just before you even start up with anything else. But I do believe it shows good faith. It puts skin in the game. It's team sacrifice uh, when we're asking our, our, our fans to sacrifice. So um, yes, that's a long way to say it will be more public and um, more to come on that after our staff is, is fully aware. Right, to, to pass the numbers on so fans are aware of them, you look at fiscal year 2019 and uh, scholarships were close to 15 million and salaries, benefits and bonuses were 35 million. So you, you can't, million, yeah. yeah, that's a total of $50 million and, and you can't, you can't just not pay people for a year and not pay scholarships <laughs> for a year. It's, it's not the way it works, but it gives people an idea of the scope of the numbers. Yeah. Typically for people out there looking, I don't know that this is rock solid, but it's something I've always used. Each place I've been, typically your payroll needs to be, you know, under 38, 36%. You know, I don't, if I think if it got towards 40, you're really out there. Um, but that's just a guide we've, we've tended to use. And um, I don't know, maybe that helps it for the fans that try to understand what we can do, why we can't do some things, et cetera. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, you've touched on it a little bit. Uh, so let's explore, um, you know, clearly you, you and Justin Fuente had conversations when he was hired. And then, uh, you know, when the thing with Baylor occurred last December, January, whenever that was, more conversations were had. So what can you tell us about your uh, plans made in conjunction with Coach Fuente about the, the football program's future needs? We've talked about what you're doing right now, but, um, you know, what, uh, what areas do you need to see shored up in the coming years? And then what are your plans for the next, you know, two, five, ten years? Sure. Yeah. And Justin and I visit really anytime we need to, but certainly um, at the end of each year, how did it go? What can we do better? What can we, we work on? Um, the Baylor situation you referenced again, not, not to go back on that. Justin was briefly looked at it was, was good to me. Um, no issues there. I believe it did open his eyes a little bit to some of the resources and recruiting infrastructure. And then we started doing some peer comparisons and, and found that to be true. And then what, what we've done for the donors that gave significantly to football, we laid out a PowerPoint of where we want to go, where the money would be spent, why it's important. And essentially, Justin wants to have the best player development program in the country. That doesn't mean we won't recruit elite, but we've done pretty darn good here of getting really good players and making them great and um, really impressed with his vision. It combined with, with ours, and then we presented that to um, – that smaller group of more influential donors. And that will also become public. It's not a secret. It just will become public more when we roll out the next capital campaign. And, and again, it would have the Coliseum. It would have a lot of football um, endowments, hockey club, all sports, but we did not have time to wait on fundraising for football. So we laid that plan out. And again, we're, we're fortunate those people stepped up in a really big way. Um, all right, appreciate that. And let's see, I've got a couple more things I'd like to hit on. Um, do you have a feel, you know, one of the big conversations among Virginia Tech fans when they watch game on the ACC network is the commercials, the tack, tack shaver and spurtle and 
Right. Tech Pfizer. It doesn't yeah. look like the, bluntly put, Wade, it doesn't look like the ACC is raking in the cash. The ACC network is raking in the cash. So um, my question is, do you have a feel for ACC network revenue at this point? And is it higher or lower than what you expected pre-COVID? Yeah, good question. And I have no idea what the, the ad rates are. I'm usually watching the game live, but I see some of the tweets and things such as that. So <laughs> I, I have no idea on that. But in, in general, our... Um, what was projected to come in from the network actually came in um, very high six figures above what was budgeted. So we were pleased with that. And then the big ABC Disney negotiations with Comcast coming up later in 21 uh, would be big for us. And, and I know you've commented on it. I've tweeted about it. I know business is business, but it is frustrating to me. And I know Carla at UVA as well when, 40% of your state can't get the games um, through Comcast, but yet the SEC network and Big Ten network is on there. So in a way, our state paying dollars to the cable company are going to conferences and schools out of state. So I don't love the way that sits. I can't change it, but I'm confident that ABC, Disney, and those two Goliaths can hopefully come together if, if and when that happens, and hopefully it will. Um, I think the network is off and running and will exponentially produce a new revenue stream. So we will use what we made this year to start paying off the studio and do some other things. So I don't know that it's real money in our pocket, so to speak, for probably another three or four years. But it is nice to be able to project on that and, and actually very pleased with the numbers and that they exceeded their projections. So that's always good. So that, that's going better than most people think. It's just hard to tell in the state of Virginia sometimes. Well, I know that I can't wait to shave underwater, so I'm very thankful for the <laughs> ACC network. Um, so, so here's a bit of minutia that your typical fan doesn't know, and, and Chris Coleman's been wanting, to add, wanting, me, wanting me to ask you about this. North Carolina passed a state law last fall that all athletic departments in the state of North Carolina, I believe public schools, will only have to pay in-state tuition for student-athletes. And this is estimated to save UNC 5.1 million on their scholarship bill of 17 million and NC State 2.4 million on a scholarship bill of 13.4 million. So number one, your thoughts on this? And number two, is there any chance this could ever happen in the state of Virginia? Um, it is certainly on the um, list of things under consideration. It's my understanding, I believe, that it could be done. Um, we were able to do that when I was at Cincinnati. Um, again, there, there's lots of ways uh, universities can help that. That would be a big one. It certainly makes it easier with your gender equity numbers, making everything, sorry, my Snoopy alarm clock. Um, <laughs> your half hour is up, yeah, right? It's not even mine. Let me walk over here. So typical 2020 there. So that's what, what I'd like to say on that. I hope that comes to fruition. It would be a great thing to do, but every dollar that we don't pay in scholarship is one less that campus is going to get for academic units. So we will look at it, explore it, um, and present that along with a lot of other things, and hopefully we can get there. That would be a nice long-term help, and as our recruiting and all of our sports has gone, gone more out of state than in state, um, you know, it, it would be a game changer for us. So hopefully so, uh, but certainly thank the world of our administration and uh, not not ever going to criticize them they've been great to me and to us so but that would be a good one i like that one yeah so uh i, I think people are gonna 
if I don't ask this next question, I think they're going to tell me I should have asked it, even though I, I pretty much know the answer. Have you thought about cutting sports and have you been following the stories out of William and Mary? No, there is no discussion about cutting sports. I don't believe in that. Um, the student athlete experience, we have 22 sports right in the middle of the ACC and to some people that really don't know how it all works, that that's sometimes a flippant remark, we'll just do that. Well, oftentimes the money's not that significant. And then when you see the student athletes, the coaches, the fans, um, that's a pretty painful thing to go through. And yes, I have certainly followed uh, what's going on at William & Mary. That's a, a sad situation. Obviously, I don't know all the facts and, and you know what's in the news is sometimes accurate, sometimes not. I just feel for the AD, I feel for the sports. Um, it seems like they're in a lot of dysfunction right now, and it's certainly hard to move forward when you got that going on. And um, seeing it through the eyes of my son there too, knowing some of those student athletes, but uh, hopefully they can get back on track. And um, I've really grown to like, uh, I, I just didn't know him, but Mike London and the way he coaches and um, what he's doing over there, I, I do root for them and can't wait for them to play. They're going to try to get in some games this spring and, um, really anxious to do that and maybe tailgate a little bit and go watch those. That's right. As a reminder, your son plays football for, right. for William and Mary, correct? That's right. Uh, he does. Yes. All right. Uh, last question, then we'll let you go um, and be specific. What can Hokie fans do to help? Uh, you know, giving is always the first answer and maybe people want to hear that. Maybe they don't, but just giving to the Hokie club to the scholarships to just saying hey we're in it with you and and some people may not think they're fifty dollars one hundred dollars makes a difference but there's strength in numbers and um again this drive for 25 that people kind of laughed at when we were on nine thousand donors is up to 20 and Hokie nation is strong together and if they're able to give all i can promise is we're going to do our best to make you proud with how we spend it and uh represent virginia tech but other than that you know I guess I would say be positive, uh, not blindly positive. We know we're not above criticism in the public arena, but the whole world's gone mad. Everybody is screaming at everybody else. And um, I don't know, sports is a unifying thing. And um, we're a lot better when we're not bitter at each other and, and all that. And so far, it seems like uh, Hokie Nation is, is hung in there together. And so I'd say be positive, uh, hopefully have faith in, in what we're doing. And um, if they're able to give, do that. And um, anyways, that, that's what would come to mind and uh, love them for it. All right, Whit, it's been great talking to you. I haven't talked to you in a while, so it's, it's good to speak with you, even if it is through a computer. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Thank you Whit. for covering us and, and the audience. And again, you guys uh, offer a lot of help to us too and are often the litmus paper for the, the public pulse. So uh, keep it up. Well, I, I appreciate that, and uh, I know we've gone a little bit over, so thank you for your time. That's all right. The bill will be in the mail, no problem. Sounds good. All right, folks, <laughs> that was Whit Babcock and, and here on the Tech Island Podcast. Thank you, Whit.